Ohio on State Street. This is ESPN 1000, a good karma brand's radio station. On WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Sunday to you, Meller and Hanley on ESPN 1000. You can watch us on Twitch today and every day at twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago. I'm inside the old National Bank studio right outside on State Street across from the Chicago Theater. It was less than a week ago, Brian. I was hanging out, hanging out watching the Super Bowl with one Jesse Rogers. And then immediately a day later, he is off to Arizona to get to roll up his sleeves and get started on a new season of baseball as the White Sox and Cubs get set to get spring training underway here in the next few days. Jess, uh, we bring you in, Meller and Hanley. What's your uh, initial thoughts now? You are, are you all settled in, ready to go? Yeah, yeah. It's been an interesting week. I mean, pitchers and catchers have been here all week, but plenty of p- position players as well. Uh, position players, actually, mandatory report day is tomorrow. But both teams, I, you know, most of the players are there. Not all, but most. So was able to talk to a lot of a lot of players on both teams. Obviously, the first day was all about Clevenger with the White Sox. But since then, we moved on to some other things as that investigation unfolds. And basically, I, I, every main Cub you'd want to talk to was was there this week. So got to talk to Kyle Hendricks coming back from injury. The new guys, Hosmer, Mancini, Bellinger. They all spoke this week. It was, it was, you know, sort of good to start to get to know those guys. White Sox have a lot of returning players, right? Not a lot of new guys there other than Benintendi and, and, and Clevenger. So um, their group is all about staying healthy. The Cubs are about, you know, some rebound candidates, and we'll, we'll see what happens. I think there's a lot of uncertainty for both teams for obvious reasons. Well, you talk about two different vibes in camp, um, and you mentioned Clevenger. White Sox fans were just dying for change and and for a positive feel good to start this this spring training and this season, and it's been a rough week for Rakan. Um, I'm sure Pedro Grafal didn't want to have to be dealing with the stuff, and even and the guys in the clubhouse have to deal with all the fallout. Um, my first question: Have you got a cease and desist uh, order, restraining order from Clevenger, <laughs> or is that just special people? But I mean, it's it's it, it's it's a self inflicted wound. Twelve million one one year contract for a guy with a great fastball sounds great and a, and approve a contract. But I'm, on Twitter, I see so many Sox fans saying, "I'm done with this team already." That's that's not the vibe you want a weekend of the to pitchers no, and catchers. No, no, the whole the whole thing is just dirty. You know, uh, the accusations are terrible. Obviously, not necessarily true. Just hasn't been proven yet. There has to be corroborating evidence. Uh, and that's the phrase they use in the in the policy about all this stuff. So we'll see if there is corroborating evidence. Evidence right now, it's an accusation, but just the idea that a free agent and his agent and possibly his former team all knew about this invis- investigation, and the White Sox didn't know and weren't told and don't have to be told. It's just a dirty game, right? You're negotiating, knowing something about your client. I'm talking about the agent that you the team doesn't know, and you don't have to tell the team. It's just it's just dirty. The, the system seems a lot, a little dirty in that respect, but also the Sox, I think, deserve a little bit of a hit for not doing enough due diligence. So, look, I think it's a first, second, third day kind of story. 
Um, and then it, it, it calms down until there's some news again, right? I actually talked to Clevenger about baseball just a little bit yesterday because he's one of the guys the league called in the offseason, not about the investigation, but about his uh, motion on the mound. Because right now, if he repeats his motion from a year ago, he'd be balking almost every time. There's mm. no lifting up the legs anymore. So guys are going to have to change up some of the routines. Kevin Gossman's another one. Um, you know, all in the name of, of, of the pitch clock and, and, and making sure you're um, having a deliberate motion so the pitch clock operator knows when to, when to shut off the clock and the umpire knows when it's a violation. So I actually talked to Clevenger about that. But uh, until there's news about the investigation, it'll probably die down a little bit at camp, which is probably a good thing for the White Sox. Jesse Rogers joining us on the CarX Tire and Auto Hotline on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Miller along with Brian Hanley here until 11 o'clock today. Uh, to some uplifting news, Jess, Liam Hendricks in camp. And uh, I read uh, a lot of your stuff on Twitter about how he is a very bright spot, at least for being out there at White Sox camp. Big time, big time. I mean, Ethan Katz almost was in tears talking about him. Lucas Giolito called him an inspiration. So he's there, he's working out, he's throwing a little bit, but he's nowhere near close to returning because he's going, you know, he's undergoing treatment. So, um, at least they're talking about him in a, in, a, in a light that is positive, right? He's feeling good, um, but not ready to play baseball on a full-time basis just yet. But maybe by the end of spring training, they'll have some sort of timeline. So I wouldn't necessarily rule him out as long as the treatments continue to, to, to go forward. And, and the great thing, what Giolito said, it's the same Liam Hendricks, you and I, you know, everyone knows, right? He's the guy in the clubhouse playing with Legos, making fun of everyone, busting balls, the whole nine yards, and Giolito says that has not changed. So that's wonderful to hear through the in the, in the face of adversity, and maybe I would assume some treatments and, 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 and things that probably are tiring him out and all that stuff hasn't changed his attitude. So I think he has been an, he has been an inspiration being there from day one. That's the other thing he could have you know came along three weeks from now, right? But he decided to be there day one. I think to be part of a team um, and 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 maybe even show his teammates that he's okay and it's okay to to sort of use him as some inspiration. I think that's all been great. You know, last year uh, Jose Abreu in particular and some of the other veterans uh, on the White Sox were praising Tony Larusa for the camp that he ran, uh, the spring camp, and they said it was the best one they'd ever partake had uh, partaken in. And Pedro Grafal talked about this week about how these first weeks are so important to set a foundation of what expectations are and how you go about your business. Have you felt or seen a different tone in the first week as to how the new coaching staff is handling uh, the team and what they're trying to get accomplished? A little bit, a little bit. They are paying more attention to detail. Now it's just pitchers and catchers. So we'll we'll see the full squad at it soon enough, but it's been, there's been some, some more intense, PFPs working with the pitchers. Um, I think Joe Kelly said some things about that, a little different tweaks and things like that, which is something Pedro Grafal kind of forecasted when he got hired, that they were going to do things a little different. Maybe raise my eyebrow a little bit, because you know this, Brian, there's only so many different ways to reinvent this game. Sure. Although although this year you do have to come up with some, some tricks because of the pitch clock. We could talk hours about that. You know, uh, Pitchers need, needing to vary their throws to first as the clock is winding down, stuff like that. So you do need to reinvent yourself with the rules. But in terms of just fielding and things like that, it's pretty much the same stuff. But Joe Kelly was talking about how it's, it, there is some innovation to it, um, little stuff uh, uh, you know, that, that may, maybe makes a difference, maybe not. But I think the fact that he's getting them 
focused on it and thinking about it and talking about it maybe can make a difference instead of, instead of just going through the motion. So to answer your question, yeah, I think there's some, some things going on here that maybe another manager wouldn't be doing. And I think Rafal kind of told us that when he was hired. I'm going I'm to do things a little different. Now, we'll see what the pregame prep is like um, in the regular season because he really talked that up. And, I, again, I don't know how many different ways you can you know, get ready for a game, but it sounds like Rafal's got some ideas, and we'll see what that brings. Jesse, the White Sox big signing other than Clevenger was obviously Andrew Benintendi. He will be a fixture in left field. I would assume he has won a gold glove as a left fielder. We know how good defensively Luis Robert is in center. However, for me, the big elephant in the room is Aloy Jimenez, who wants to play a lot of outfield. It sounds like, at least the last time we heard from him, was that you know he is planning to play some right field. How often do you think the White Sox intend on using Aloy Jimenez in the outfield this year? Not very often. I think they're trying to say the right things and placate him, but the bottom line is they have at least three outfielders that are better than him defensively. And for a moment in time, I think he started to get better a little bit defensively, but the injuries continue to pile up. And, in fact, the outfield defense wasn't very good last year. You have to do what's best for the team, even though you can say some things to make sure you're not hurting the feelings of the player. I don't think he's going to play out there that much. I mean, he wasn't a great left fielder. How are you going to stick him in right, a a more difficult position? It's it's absurd to think um, that they're going to actually do that if it's once a week because someone's resting or, you know, Grandel needs to DH, fine. But if he's out there any more than a – once a week I'd be surprised and it'd be detrimental to the team if everyone's healthy and he's playing any amount of right field that just just silly to think about he's moving into a full-time DH role and that's what he probably should be Jesse uh, the odds makers have uh, posted total wins for Cubs and Sox and all the teams in baseball and interesting the Cubs let's start on the north side 77 and a half wins is the number that Vegas settled on um, this is a team that, that ended up with, what, 74 last year. Second half, they played and competed much, uh, I'd say, more consistently. So maybe you would uh, think with also the offseason moves, you would expect a little bit more in, in terms of wins. Uh, where do you land on that before we get to the White Sox? Are you surprised that it's still going to be a struggle? For, well, and, and the Cardinals are going to lead the division at 88.5 wins, and the Brewers are checking at 85.5. I do think the Cardinals are about 10, win, 10 wins better. So I agree with that. I thought I'd probably go 80 and 90 with the over-unders for both those teams. I thought the 77 was a little low. But, look, you can't just say all that activity in the offseason. Uh, that activity included a guy who the Dodgers couldn't fix, Cody Bellinger, a guy who didn't play for the Astros after getting traded and really didn't have a great season in Trey Mancini, a guy that nobody wanted in Eric Hosmer. Now, these are facts. These are not my opinions. These are basically facts. Um, so you can't just say, uh, you know, Dan Jiggins used to say, don't confuse activity with accomplishment, my, my <laughs> yes. old pal. And so it's just, you can't just say that. Now, Dansby Swanson, that's a real big signing. And not the others aren't good, but are they great? Do they put you in close to the 90 win total? I don't see how. I mean, 90 wins is usually the number executives look at. We're trying to get to 90 um, because that's a a guaranteed playoff spot most of the time. I I don't see how they can get to 90. Uh, If they can get to 80, I can see that. Um, Playing more outside your division is not going to be helpful. There's there's some really good teams out there that are going to have to play now every year, Seattle and all those, you know, AL West good teams and stuff. So uh, I think, you know, 80, 81 is about right, Brian. 
and a lot would have to go right and wrong on the other side to, to push the Cardinals. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I do think there's about a 10-win difference. You've got to make that up somewhere somehow, and I'm not sure where or how. Uh, the Cubs have a plethora of options at third base, Jess. It looks like, you know, they've got Patrick Wisdom. I know Mick, Nick Madrigal has been taking some grounders at third base. You've got Christopher Morrell at times, who uh, was the fancy of Cubs' eyes last season. They just inked Edwin Rios, who he's a weird player, too. He's hit 20 home runs and 260 career at-bats, but he's only got he's got a sub-300 on base percentage. Zach McKinstry, you've got a lot of options, and I don't know if any of them are any good. Yeah, it's that old backup quarterback thing. If you've got two quarterbacks, you don't have one. I mean, I, I truly think about that. Now they're all they all have some talents, but you'd have to combine them all to to get a real starting everyday third baseman. I wonder if there's a trade in the future. Now someone was trying to convince me within within the Cubs world there that Madrigal would be the opening day third baseman and leadoff hitter, and maybe he will be. But uh, and also he did play some left side of the infield in college. He only moved over to the right side because of an injury. So maybe Magical's arm is underrated just because we've never seen it on the left side. But I, I have my doubts if he could play there every day and be the leadoff man. But I, I have my doubts, you know, that Wisdom can do it, and I have my doubts that Morell could do it. Yeah, like they're, they're, they're just all of them have their flaws, but all of them have their strengths as well. It might be a rotation. You don't, you don't see too many rotations at third, right? You know, up to three guys out there. I mean, Wisdom talked about playing some outfield. He's not an outfielder. So I wonder if there's a – a spring trade to be had, especially with the addition of Rios. I mean, if you asked me a month ago, I would have said Magical is going to be on the move. I'm not sure now, but it, it doesn't feel like they can open up can't open up the season with all these guys sort of slated at third with very few of them being able to play the outfield. Um, you know, like I said, Wisdom's going to take some balls out there. So it is strange, Jeff. I think we got to see it play out a little bit. When everyone's healthy, you know, uh, okay, uh, there's some talent there, but, but how do you get any at-bats for these guys? Even Mancini and Hosmer, you know, like they're taking up first in DH. You can't stick Magical at the DH very often. So I agree, it's a little bit confusing right now. Maybe they think injuries, you know, are going to happen because they always do, and 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 it'll, it'll show itself exactly who that third baseman is. But I, I don't know. I don't quite understand what's going on at that position, especially after picking up Edwin Rios. We know how disappointing the Sox were last year, ended up 81 and 81, but really at home 37 and 30 and 44. They're posted at 83 wins uh, this season, and Cleveland checks in at 87. Um, two games better? That, that won't cut it. Um, what do you think on the South side? I, I agree with the 83. In fact, on the radio a few weeks ago before they did it, I, I, I pulled it out of my hat. I said 84. So I was, I was right there. I think that's the right number. Um, if healthy, we know there's enough talent to go at least 500, if not better. You can't have much worse of a season last year and they went 500. Um, Kansas City's, I mean, you're playing more outside the division, right? But Kansas City's not that good. We know that. But it is. it does feel like a three-team race. Minnesota should be good, and, and Cleveland should be good. I, I like the number at 83. Um, you could make a case for more, get you know closer to 90. You could certainly make a case for less, and that's because I don't think there's a ton of depth there, like, if Clevenger's suspended, uh, I mean, Davis Martin moves into that fifth role, and who's who's there after that? Now, Ethan Katz made a point of saying it's the best arms he's seen since he's been here, but they always say that in February, right? We got the best group of, you know, whatever. So I don't think they're very deep at, uh, at, at, on the mound. I don't think they're very deep among their position players. If this, if you could fast forward and tell me they spent the, li- the fewest amount of days on the injured list of any team in the league, I'd say the, the White Sox might be in the playoffs. But 
history says that's not realistic with this team. So I guess I'll say that if somehow they're healthy, this is an 85-win team. If not, they're back down to 80 or less. Any final spring training tidbit as we spring you here, Jess? Oh, there's plenty. I mean, Seiya Suzuki is jacked. I don't know if you saw the photos. And this is going to be an interesting second season for him. First of all, he's going to the, to the WBC. I don't have a problem with hitters going there. It actually probably locks them in for the regular season more. If you have a lot of pitchers going there, that would concern me. And Lance Lynn is one of them. I mean, Lance Lynn has to get locked in very soon. Can he stay locked in through October at his age and his size and all that stuff? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So we'll see how that plays out for pitchers going to the WBC. Suzuki put on some weight. That's always worrisome because Giolito did that last year, had to lose it all because that didn't work. But he thinks he'll lose it over time. And if, if I've heard it once from the Cubs talking about Suzuki. I've heard it a hundred times, the word diet. His diet wasn't great last year. Now, again, these are millionaires. Why aren't they hiring professional, you know, personal cooks, all that stuff? I don't know. But they think they've figured things out. So first year in the States, after the lockout, a whirlwind signing, um, it was an up-and-down year. They think he's bulked up enough to last the season. They figured out his diet. I'm very interested to see how Suzuki performs, not just in April coming off the WBC, but for six months. Almost the same thing I'm saying about Lance Flynn, but for a different reason. And again, speaking of weight, as another nugget. Um, I didn't know Lucas Giolito was 280 last year. I knew he came in bigger. He talked about it. But he went from 280 to 245. So he looks great. Now, last year it wasn't fat. It was a lot of muscle, but it just didn't work for him. So he's back down to 245, which is what he was in 21 when he had the really good year. So those are a couple nuggets. One guy put on weight. One guy lost weight. We'll see if it works for both of them. Um, and uh, the last other thing is, you know, the WBC is played without the clock. So anybody going there is going to lose those reps at the beginning of spring training. So it, it's going to be a weird April. It's going to be a real weird April. Some guys are going to be really used to this pitch clock and all the other rules, and I think some guys are not especially those leverage relievers that are playing in the WBC when they come back and realize they don't have 40 seconds between pitches. So there's a lot going on this spring that we've never seen before, and uh, we'll see how it all sort of translates to April, especially for both the Cubs and Sox. Jess, as always, we appreciate it, man. Uh, Take it easy. Enjoy spring training, and we will talk to you very soon. You got it, guys. Be well. Have a good Thanks, Jess. That is Jesse Rogers joining us on the CarX Tire and Auto Hotline. I'm Jeff Meller along with Brian Hanley. We are taking your calls. If you'd like to weigh in on those over-under numbers for the Cubs and White Sox that have been set by, by Vegas, do you think either team in the city will surprise and go over? Or are you a little bit more pessimistic? Do you have the over? 312-332-3776. It's Miller and Hanley on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Until 11 o'clock today on ESPN 1000, we just talked with Jesse Rogers. He mentioned how Seiya Suzuki has bulked up, and I was digging around on the social media feeds and found some Seiya Suzuki photos from last spring as compared to this spring. And, Bri, your reaction? <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Whoa, uh, indeed. Ooh. Uh... 
you know, Jesse mentioned that why guys don't, and a lot of athletes do, uh, employ personal chefs and trainers and whatever. Um, I read a New York Times story, I think, last season talking about the teams that do that. They have nutritionists that they've hired as part of their staff, traveling staff, there every day to make sure guys eat even healthy snacks in the dugout during games, right, and try to get them off stuff. And it was interesting that the stories like the different uh, – some players are very receptive to the, the idea and the, the support and the, you know, here's what you should eat and here's what you don't want to eat. And other guys are just – that's their routine and they're going to have a slice of pizza before the game or half a pizza after the game and they don't care. But, boy, say ya. Yeah, that's that's uh, pretty stark. And, and when- say ain't so. <laughs> it's it's uh, because here's the thing. You, it, you usually think, oh, how often it's been going on for 35 years, 40 years, the best shape of my life. I'm in the best shape of my life. Saya has clearly bulked up, but the photos show a, ga- a man who in the midsection is maybe not taking cardio as seriously as he should. Um the bulk Not up, carbs, right? I yeah, mean, uh, I mean, like, and I'm looking at you know the uh, he's got the the uh, the pullover sweatshirt going on here, where he still looks much bigger in the upper body, but not necessarily in a good way. I mean, the arms are clearly w- much more defined, but I'm concerned <laughs> seeing these photos. You know, it's and it's not just like sure, maybe the the added bulk and the muscle, the strength, hopefully will give him a little bit more power. But the problem is, I, I also always am concerned about the flexibility for a player. It, I think it's critical, you know, when you're a hitter to maintain good flexibility just for your approach at the plate. And sometimes, sometimes you see guys bulk up, and it doesn't always result in added power because they can't make contact the way they once did. Yeah, and, and look, the days of Dick Allen uh, eating a hot dog in, in the dugout or smoking or whatever, you know, long gone. But Jesse mentioned, and I read this the other day, that uh, Lucas Giolito was up to 280, and he's 6'6", okay? But I, I stopped cold when I saw 280 because I didn't realize how big he was last year in terms of weight. And to, to shed, what, 35 pounds uh, and come into – because he said it didn't work for him. I mean, he thought – Getting stronger and bigger would help him durability-wise, and obviously uh, he had a, almost a five ERA and, and a, what fourteen and nine season. So he he you know shifted gears and went the opposite way in a huge way. So it, it spring training you used to get you guys show up and they play their way into shape. Um, that's usually not how it goes anymore. Guys show up because they're they're training in the off season twenty four seven every day. They're at the gym for a few hours. So say, uh, I mean, when you when you texted me those photos, I was like, man, he's the exception, not the rule. Most guys come into camp in shape, ready to go. Brian brought it to my attention earlier this morning. The Cubs and Sox over under numbers out. The White Sox right now are currently slated at 83. If you'd like to go over under that, the Cubs at 77 and a half. The poll is up on ESPN 1000. Feel free to vote either way. Brian, it looks like. The folks are voting along party lines because we have 65% saying the Cubs will go over. So that means 35% are going under. We also have 65% saying the Sox will go under and 35% saying they will go over. So I feel like this might just be a, for the most part, vast majority voting 
on whether or not they like the Cubs or White Sox. Nevertheless, though, you feel free to uh, share your opinion with us. The three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's how Owen checked in. Owens in Willowbrook. Owen, what do you think about the uh, Cubs and White Sox over unders out there? Well, guys, let me start with the Sox. Uh, I'm going to start with the first thing that Han did right for the off season. He improved the outfield defense. And that's if Colas can play 120 games. Jimenez should never see the grass. <laughs> um, as far as as far as the rest of the the rest of the team, here's here's why I think they're going to be in the mid 70s. Your closer is going to be out from yep. last year. You're going to have even if Clevenger starts, I can't see him having a better year than Cueto. Um, I agree. I agree with you. And, Owen. Yeah, and, then, that's very and then and then he did not upgrade at second base. We're going to have Yosemite Grandel supposedly playing 100 games behind the plate. Terrible defensive catcher. Um, and then and then I saw a projected lineup with Mikata batting fifth. Yep. The only place that guy should be batting fifth is in Charlotte. <laughs> the, the, this, team, this team has not improved one iota. And, oh, the other thing they didn't address is a left-handed starter. What, what did we do for left-handed relief last year? We got Diekman who puts gasoline on a fire. I mean, this team Owen. is going nowhere, and they're going nowhere fast. Owen, you're speaking a lot of truth. I can't disagree with anything no. you brought up right there. Um, for me, the way I look at it, the White Sox, their approach to this offseason was cross your fingers and hope your younger players in Aloy Jimenez and, Yo- um, not Yohan Mankata, but Luis Robert, they're, they're hoping that those two players in particular will be vastly improved and can live up to the hype that they brought when they first arrived. And while Luis Robert, you know, there's a lot of potential there, you know, he hasn't proven that he can stay healthy for a whole, you know, 162 game season. And Aloy Jimenez, very similar, you know, so to your point, Owen, like I could see why it would be the better part of valor of keeping him at the designated hitter and not necessarily letting him play the outfield. Right, Bri? Yeah. And, and Owen's right. I mean, it's not exactly hope springs eternal, uh, but I can't, I, like you, I can't, argue whatever he just said he's spot on and the left-handed power last year with being an attendee joining the group that's great it helps it's, is it going to be enough i mean they didn't have one player who hit 20 home runs last no. year right you know you're right and you know ben Intendi as a you know a left fielder fine he's a number two hitter he gets on base but the truth is if you look at his career it looks like he has exchanged power for contact you know no and doubt. And maybe, just maybe, because he's a left-handed hitter, the shift will work in his favor. But you know, you know, you're. It's I'm doing mental gymnastics and trying to explain how the White Sox end up getting better. And some of this, maybe it all goes right, you know. But I think the the likelihood is, Bry, that maybe some of the stuff they hope goes well does work out well. But then there's going to be things that you don't foresee that end up. Don't go, not going your way. And so if that's the case, you know, I think 83 wins for the White Sox. I'm more inclined as a White Sox fan. It, it, it concerns me, uh, makes me a little bit sad, but I would bet the under right now on the White Sox because I don't feel great about where they're at. And I thought when, and when I've seen the returns on our Twitter poll and you just mentioned them, um, the percentages, I thought initially that was recency bias, just the way the camp started this week, and it's not a feel good with Clevenger and Sox fans were fed up at, throughout last season, and really by the end of it, we're done with this team and unlikable team. I mean, how many Sox fans just said that they couldn't root for the team? Not only were they not a good baseball team fundamentally, they were not a, a fun group to want to watch or, or pay attention to, 
and you're hoping with a new manager there'd be a new vibe and you know Rick Hahn's sitting there on the picnic table with his head in his hands you know talking about Clevenger for half hour the other day it's not the way you want this thing to start so I just thought <clears throat> the Sox fans are more negative than maybe optimistic or realistic because of the way things have started this first week of camp but I think, as Jesse said, it, 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 then they don't have to be the healthiest team in the league, but they have to be a lot healthier than last year, and they should, I think, get, I don't know, 87, 88, 89 wins, I would hope, but who knows. The White Sox whiffing on Manny Machado years ago is officially a bust. I'll share with you why next. And the first $500 million player in sports, possibly, we'll talk about that as well on ESPN 1000. If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Jeff Miller, Brian Hanley with you here till 11 o'clock today on ESPN Chicago. I mentioned as we went to break, Bri, that it is officially, if you were trying to hold out and if you didn't already believe it, it is officially a whiff by the White Sox not being able to secure Manny Machado's services way back when he was a free agent in the offseason of 2019. He officially told Padres beat reporters this earlier this week. Am I going to be a Padre next year? 2024. I mean, so far this year I'm a project, but who knows after next year? I know, uh, you know, obviously the team knows where where I stand in my situation, and you know, with Opta coming, and you know, I think I've expressed that I will be opting out after this year. Um, you know, but I think my focus is not about 2024. I think my focus is about 2023. What I can do to this ball club, what I've done for this organization, and you know, what we're going to continue to do here. I think we got something special here growing, and um, you know, I don't think uh, anything's going to change. So that means, Brian, that after this season, Manny Machado has told us he will exercise his opt-out, which will put him on the free agent market. He also added there's plenty, there's lots of money out there, and so it makes sense that he will be opting out. He will have, at the end of this season, played five seasons for the Padres, and he will have made $140 million, and he will hit the free agent market again at the age of 31. And I have to imagine that looking around, seeing a player like Aaron Judge this offseason, who at the same age, who was entering his age 31 season, signed a nine-year, $360 million. Trey Turner, who will be entering his age 29 season, hitting the jackpot for 11 years, $300 million. And also seeing Xander Bogarts, signed by his San Diego Padres at his age 30 season, get an 11-year $280 million deal. There's, as you know, to Machado's point, there is lots and lots of money out there. And for a guy who has finished second and third in the MVP voting in two of the last three seasons, I think that's all you need to know why he's going to opt out. But that just goes to reinforce that had the White Sox been willing to give opt outs in a deal, that they would have gotten some of the best years, the prime years of an elite player. And they would have gotten those great years at a bargain price. And you know what? If you don't want to go back into the free agent market with him as he turns, you know, as he hits the 30s, the decades of the 30s, well, you you could just say, you know what? Handshake, it's been a great run. But nevertheless, this is all the more reason why 
the White Sox as an organization need to jump in to 2023 and recognize that this is how business is being done in baseball. And if you're not going to be a part of it, you're just going to be left behind. And you appreciate his honesty that he's asked a question and he handled it differently than Shohei did. But I mean, if I was a Padres fan, as great as he's been, as much as he's contributed, and he's obviously aware of business matters and who's getting paid what, even on his own team. But the Padres, I mean, they're not shy. They go get Soto. They do. Mm-hmm. They're now in the conversation for Otani. I mean, now it's like the Dodgers, the Mets, the Yankees, Padres, and Phillies. You know, why the Cubs aren't in there, I don't know, because they have nothing but money. But they, they're operating like a major market team and a small market. And God bless Manny Machado. But, um, you know, the White Sox, Jesse's been saying this for years. There's like three or four things they will not do, and they're operating in a vacuum. And mm. I mean, I go back to when I covered the White Sox in the early '90s for the Sun Times. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't give pitchers more than a three-year deal, I recall. including Greg Maddox, and because of injury. Okay, well, you get the thinking, and you you know understand that they're afraid they're going to pay somebody who breaks down and can't fulfill his contract. But you can't be one of one or two or three teams that operate that way and expect to win in this league. The market is the market, and what's going on is, you know, times have changed. So Jesse's like, they don't give $100 million contracts. They don't give opt-outs. Well, you're just not going to be in play for anyone of any kind of substance, and that's what will get you a middling team at best. You mentioned Shohei Otani there. Very, very interesting because he has one year left with the Los Angeles Angels. He will be 28 this season, and, of course, uh, he was the MVP back in 2021 when he hit 46 homers, stole 26 bases, had an on-base percentage of 372, and then um, that's just remember his hitting stats. Oh, by the way, as a pitcher, he was pretty good as well as I scroll through. That's the crazy thing about Shohei Otani. I can't have all his stats available at my fingertips because they have to split everything up. As a pitcher that year when he won the league MVP, he also... Through 130 innings, which in this day and age is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. No. He uh, went 9-2 and two that year. And in that 130.1 innings pitched, he had a 3.18 ERA. And um, he struck out 156. Meanwhile, last year, when he was the runner-up to Aaron Judge, um, and honestly... Only an Aaron Judge-type season, I think, prevented Shohei Otani from winning back-to-back MVPs. Shohei, uh, the the hitting numbers were down just a bit last year, but he actually improved his batting average. He uh, he hit 34 homers. He stole 11 bases. He had an on-base of 356, hit 273, but he was a much better pitcher last season. He was 15-9 in 166 innings pitched. He struck out... As I roll through here, he struck out 219 batters and had a 2.33 ERA. He was fourth in Cy Young voting. I mean, he is going to absolutely shatter whatever deal you're looking, you know, whatever previous deal baseball um, had. I believe uh, Mike Trout has the the current record right now. Shohei Otani at age 29 as he hits free agency next year, he's going to get a half a billion dollar contract and I, the sure. reason I'm, I'm i'm sure of this is you're getting you know a, an ace for your staff and a middle of the order hitter and by the way the most marketable player in the world and don't discount what that means when you have a japanese icon 
who can insure you, you know, a minimum of a, of a 10 to $20 million sponsorship deal with sponsors from around the world because of what he brings internationally, he is going to command at least a half a billion dollar deal when all is said and done next year. And, and unlike Manny Machado, when he was asked about it the other day about free agency, the impending you know market and what he could do, he said all the right things. Loves his teammates, loves the Angels fans, but he said more than that, I want to win. That's the biggest thing for me, so I'll leave it at that. So even if the Cubs were willing to get into that that kind of competition and pony up a half a billion dollars, I'm with you. He's going to get every bit of that on a ten year deal with opt outs. So he can, you know, every couple of years ring the bell again. He's on the right side of 30, as you said, 28. So are the Cubs going to win enough this year to get his attention? But it is unique because they're still drawing 40,000. Last year was, what, 33, 34 mm-hmm. in rebuild. Um, say you uh, could sell them on the, the whole atmosphere on mm-hmm. the north side. But Tom Ricketts has to, first of all, want to be in that bidding war and have to lay out a plan like they do with John Lester that you are the difference maker and if you come here we will win and you know you can be part of something special but that's how you know how close are the Cubs to actually being a a contending team in the National League let alone a World Series contending team and so it's you know Manny Machado is like well I've told the Padres where I stand and I'm going to opt out he's just laying it on the table and I expect to get paid blah 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 and Otani's just saying well First of all, I got to go to a winning team, a team that's ready to win or has been winning, and then the money takes care of itself. And, and he's right on all accounts. And if, if, as a Cubs fan, if you're the Cubs aren't in that conversation, then shame on them. I mean, he is a once, not a once in a generation, maybe a once in a lifetime talent. Oh yeah. How how are you not in on that conversation when you have you're flush with cash and and your fan base is you know, gives you blind loyalty even in your worst seasons. Um, there's no argument in my world. You you better be front and center. Jed Hoyer's got to be making that John Lester type pitch to him with the the videos of what it would look like with Shohei Otani leading the celebration of another World Series. I think that's why it's critical if the Cubs are truly going to be in the Shohei sweepstakes next free agency. They need to. It would behoove them to have a pretty strong winning season this year, right? And I'm not saying they need to go out and make the playoffs, but they need to show. Shohei and his people that they are moving in the right direction. And you're right. Maybe, maybe Saya is, uh, that, you know, that guy who can work from, you know, go do the recruiting and he could make, uh, he can show him the best restaurants in town. Clearly, clearly he can get him a personal chef. If, but (laughs) and it, no, it's, it's such a good point though. It's, he's not once in a generation. He's once in a lifetime. It's the easy comp, you know, everyone always goes to Babe Ruth. The reality is Babe Ruth never did what Shohei Otani did as both a pitcher and a hitter in the same season. Babe Ruth was a pitcher before he was ever a hitter. Once he transitioned to becoming a hitter, he didn't pitch anymore. Shohei Otani is an ace. He is a Cy Young, a top five Cy Young contender. He he's is, an athlete. I mean, he's it, just a superstar. I mean, and it, it, Brian, I'm intrigued too. He's a left-handed hitter who oh. gets down the line faster than any other player in baseball. The shift... The, the rules with the shift may actually benefit Shohei Otani. We may actually see him get more hits because of him being a left-handed hitter this year. I am fascinated to see what kind of numbers he puts up because this is going to be a free agency unlike anything we've ever seen before in the sport. 
Can you imagine what, uh, how attractive the right field bleachers would look for him? Uh, you know, the 34 home runs could be 50 home runs. So who knows? I right? mean, I mean, no, it's going to be staggering. And again, uh, and, and it's not just whatever number he gets on an annual basis. Again, don't discount. You're going to get a very lucrative sponsorship dealership deal that comes with him oh. just being, again, a Japanese superstar. So that in itself, like I say half a billion dollars, somewhat conservatively, because if his people really want to push the note and if you get you get the Dodgers involved, you know, I mean, the Yankees could be if you start getting those behemoths involved in this bidding. Like, we could be talking about, I kid you not, a $600 million deal. He, he may just jump 500 and go straight to 600 Hey, Jeff, when Ichiro was Ichiro and, and I was covering baseball, mm-hmm. I, I'm not even kidding. The the contingents, uh, the Asian media contingency that just followed Ichiro, I mean, it had to be like 30, 30 strong. I, they would show, roll into Chicago when they were playing the Sox, and there'd be 30 media members from Japan and, and Asian nations can you imagine? I don't know what's going on in Anaheim necessarily because it's not exactly a major yeah. market, a hotbed for baseball. Because you know Mike Trout doesn't even want to leave, you know go to the New York because he's comfortable not winning in, in Anaheim. But can you imagine if you're the Cubs in terms of what that opens up in marketing and, and Japan and everything else for jerseys and, and TV ratings and all that? I, I mean, it's it's an absolute no brainer that you have to be in on that. You have to be in that if if you're a team that has any priority of trying to win a championship you can't just say well you know we, we just can't afford it. i mean the red sox are supposedly not sure they would want to spend that kind of money mm-hmm. well first of all how close are they to winning anything but the boston red sox you know shame on on them if they, they're just going for financial reasons take a pass on that i mean i i'm not kidding like, like you know people may say it's hyperbolic but you know what he did last year as a pitcher what he did two years ago as a hitter like it's we've never seen this before, you know, no. and then combine the fact that he is the most marketable baseball player in the world. I mean, he is going to crush whatever uh, AAV that is out there right now. And uh, it's only, you know, I, I'm going to be fascinated to see how it all plays out. 312-332-3776. Miller and Hanley with you for another 10 minutes here on ESPN 1000. Before we get you set for the NBA All-Star game tonight. We have to share with you what Zach Levine said as the Bulls went to the break. We'll do that next. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Once again, the consistency factor of you know figuring out what our identity is and what we're going to each and every game. Even if guys are in and out of the lineup, you see some teams that have consistency with what they do. They have an identity. I think that's something that we you know we're still trying to figure out in these last couple of years. Obviously, we changed our offense a little bit last year or this this year from last year, but it's no excuse with the type of talent that we have on the team. Still trying to figure out their identity. That's not great. A couple years in, as the Bulls head into the All-Star break on a season-worst six-game losing streak. Bri, before things, before we wrap things up here, any response to Zach Levine's comments there? 
Well, you can't argue it. And, and I've been saying, asking since the beginning of the season, what are the Bulls good at? And in a basketball question, they're not good at anything. Unfortunately, the only thing they're good at right now is blowing big leads. Mm. They have no identity. He's right. You can't argue it. And the the question remains why they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Only two teams stood pat, and the Bulls were one of them. And this whole idea of consistency and, and continuity has played out to the point where they're two games out of a play two two games out of a, a play in spots. So, I mean, it doesn't scream a contending team. Injuries are not to Lonzo Ball. This this team's a mess. Um, and yeah. he says that you know he and, and Demar and Vooch they all get along and they're all great teammates, but it just doesn't gel on the floor and it hasn't. So, uh, good luck to the Bulls and, and all all Bulls fans like good. myself are just frustrated. Good luck indeed. The only path out of this seems to be a hope and a prayer. They need to continue losing so that they can finish with the fifth worst roster or record in the league and maybe maybe get a 42% chance to land in the top four and keep their pick from Orlando. All right, folks, that does it for us. Thanks for listening. He's Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Miller. Thanks to Kendra Smith. This is ESPN 1000.